0: You all are wound up tonight. <laughs> I love that. I love that. He's <laughs> great. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I have to tell you, I, I get the the privilege of just listening to you all all sing. And um, man, I hope you believe that stuff, I really do. I know at camp it's like so fun to like belt it out and sing, the band is so good and you're having so much fun, but I hope, I mean, I just kept sitting in the back going like, Lord, I just pray that they, that they believe what they're singing, like just so powerful, your voices, I just want you to know it just blesses, blesses the heart of the Father listening to you sing, It's just so good. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and you're doing it. You do it in your craziness and you're loud and all that kind of stuff, but just to hear you just take a minute and sing out loud, like, and it just blessed me. Thank you. Thank you for worshiping. Thank you. And I just pray that it's not just a song, I pray that it means something to you. I pray that so when we sing these songs, you're like declaring the goodness and the glory of God and hearing students sing those words, I'm an old man and it blesses my heart. So thank you so much for worshiping the Lord. I pray that it sets deep inside of your soul and you live a life of worship. So so we started, so we started, so we started night one going, wait a second, we gotta go all the way back. Truth exists, Why? Because God exists. That's right. Truth exists because God exists. We learned it that, he's the, that he is the uncreated creator. All truth exists because God exists. And truth moved into the neighborhood, right? The word became flesh. And what happened? He moved into the neighborhood. It's called incarnation. Incarnation. He became flesh and blood. He took on humanity. He's humanity, divinity, and he's living amongst us. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. And we talked last night about the scriptures affirming all of this. They're affirming who Jesus is, that the Bible is a love story about God reconciling his people back to him, and the central person of that story is Jesus, and he can be trusted. So what we find now is that the eagle is coming in and the eagle has he has hit the ground in the wedding of Cana. What we find is Jesus, Jesus's mom. Like, imagine being Jesus's mom. Like, how crazy would that be? You're like, dude, never sins, man. <laughs> just cleans his room, like, you know, just like. So, what happens is there's this problem at this wedding, and there's not enough wine, and it's gonna, and the bridegroom is gonna be shamed in the community. And Jesus, the the, our Mary, the mother of Jesus, comes to him because she knows who he is, and she knows he's loving. She knows he's God. She comes in and she's like, you got to do something. And he's like, he says, woman, it's not my time. Like, I would never talk to my mama that way, but Jesus talks, says, hey, listen, it's not my time. Don't, I'm not on your time schedule. I'm on God's time schedule. But what does she do? She turns to the servants and she says, get ready, get ready. And Jesus does his first miracle. And it says, he does it so that they may believe you are going to see that. If you want to dig into your Bibles, and you want to figure some stuff out, find out for me how many times that phrase is in the Bible, that they may believe. It is or in, in John, in the gospel of John. Just dig into that. Find that out. Circle that. I have it circled in my Bible every single time it says it. your mind will be blown. This is what we're finding out. That as the eagle comes in, as John's trying to help us see, as the word became flesh and he dwells among us, It's so that the people will believe that he is the Messiah, the fulfillment of all that we've been waiting for. And then what we find is this scene where he clears the temple. Everyone's like, why is Jesus flipping over tables? Well, what was happening was people were trying to make an offering to be right and holy before God, and they were upcharging them, making a profit off of them trying to be made right with God, and says, no, and he flips more. Why? because he loves people, and he wants them to be whole and holy, and these merchants were corrupting what God had made good, and he said, absolutely not. He starts getting the attention of a lot of people, because the eagle has landed, word has become flesh, and he's going to start challenging the way we process through things. He's starting to challenge the way that the culture, the Jewish culture at this time is thinking. And it's so important because we think our world is right side up and it's not, it's upside down. But what Jesus does is he wants to course correct it so we can see the kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what Jesus is doing. When I was a kid, we didn't have a lot of money. I mean, when I say we didn't have a lot of money, I mean like I went to Goodwill to buy my underwear, kind of didn't have a lot of money. We didn't have a lot of money, but lived a good life. My mom was an amazing mom. Um, So birthdays probably don't look like a lot of your birthdays, you know? I didn't get a lot of stuff. Uh, But I remember one day, my dad took me to this magical place, Called Toys Are Us. Yeah. Toys Are Us. Awesome. Now, and they, I don't know what it was, but there was a giraffe, Jeffrey the giraffe. I don't know what that was all about, how to do with toys, but anyway, I was like, it was like, oh my gosh. You know, I just walked in, and my dad was like, listen. Uh, we've been working really hard, and we want to get you a bike. Now, this is the 80s, and in the 80s, BMX bikes were where it was at, okay? All I wanted was a BMX bike. I had just the pedal brake bike. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you are still rocking a pedal brake bike? Oh, look at you, all grown up. Okay. So I had a pedal brake bike, but the cool thing was is to get a BMX bike that you could do tricks on. There was all these cool movies that were coming out during that time. That's all I wanted. So he walked in. And he said, go Go pick out a bike and I found the bike. You can look it up online. It's called the Viper and it was all chromed out. This thing was so cool. So I get the Viper home. It's like the best gift I've ever gotten. I'm so pumped and my dad looks at me and he says, hey, listen, you can't ride the Viper right now because it only had handbrakes. And he's like, you got little girl arms and you will die. And so you can't do that. And so not to insult girls. I'm so sorry. But, but um, I know, I know. You got to be careful with that kind of stuff these days. But um, so I just had these little wimpy arms and, and my dad's like, you, you can't ride it. Now, here's the thing. We lived at the top of a hill. I mean, literally it was the highest point of the city. And our family used to go for Sunday like bike rides or we would go uh, for walks down to the park that was at the bottom. My dad says, you cannot ride that bike you got to use your pedal bike. And I'm like, the pedal bike is so old. You know, I want the new, right? And he's like, don't do it. You're going to get hurt. I promise you'll get hurt. I like, what does he know? So my, he's going to help my sisters kind of get ready and I get on the Viper. So from here on out, when I say Viper, what I need you to do is like this and go, Shh. okay. So I got on the Viper. Try. Perfect. I got on the Viper and I start heading down the hill and I'm like, This is the greatest day of my life, right? I'm heading down the hill. I'm like mocking my father in my head. Like, what does he know? What does he know? Freedom, real freedom. I got the BMX and I was just jamming and I was going. There's this point uh, they talk about when you're going through science uh, where you go from on a hill from being like, this is so much fun, right? To terminal velocity, right? And terminal velocity is the point at which you go, yeah, this is so fun to, I'm gonna die. Okay, so I hit terminal velocity at a certain point of the hill and realized. I don't know what to do. So I went back to old bike technology, you know what I mean? I went to the, 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 the brakes. So I threw on the brakes, the, the pedals uh, flipped back. Now here's the thing the Viper had, thank you, the Viper had fangs on the pedals and it bit me in my shin. It flipped back and it bit me right in my shin. Now I'm screaming because I'm going to die and I'm bleeding. I'm like, ah, ah, I'm going to die. right? So I'm heading down this hill. I'm going super fast. I'm bleeding all over the place because the viper bit me. And then I hit, so at the bottom of this hill it wasn't like a gentle like, ah, right? It was like straight into concrete. So I like going down, I'm like, what am I gonna do? And I hit the ground and I did like this weird, like Superman, like I went like, oh no, like over the handlebars, like I'm gonna die, right? I went through a briar patch, like with thorns, yeah, uh-huh. Uh, went through that, landed on the ground and pass out. (laughs) This dude, this dude, what about me, bro? What about me? Okay, if you have your Bibles, if you have your Bibles, John 4, verse 1. John 4, verse 1. As I was laying there on the ground, I woke up, and I realized something, that I deserved to be there. My dad had told me that that was going to happen to me, and I deserved to be there, and I couldn't move. So in John chapter four, verse one, it says this. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making, or making and baptizing more uh, disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed for Galilee. And, at, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the field of J- Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the 12th hour, about noon. Uh, A a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, "Uh, how is it that you, a Jew, ask me for a drink, a woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealing with the Samaritans? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that was asking you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, uh, you have nothing to, do, nothing to draw water well with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, "'Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. "'But whoever drinks of the water that I give him "'will never be thirsty again. "'The water that I will give to him "'will become in him a spring of water "'welling up to eternal life.' "'The woman said to him, "'Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty "'or have to come here and draw water anymore.' "'Jesus said to her, this is so interesting.' Jesus said to her, "'Go call your husband and come here.' And the woman answered, "'I have no husband.' Jesus said to her, "'You are right in saying you have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have, uh, what you have said is true.' The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet.' Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jew, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people, or such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of God, and everybody said? Amen. The eagle has landed. <laughs> it is now in this place in Samaria. And I love this part, that it says in in verse four that he had to go to Samaria, this is bizarre. That God had a divine appointment set aside for Jesus. This appointment with this woman wasn't some random occurrence, it was supposed to happen. And so in verse four, Jesus is like, he had to go to Samaria. Jesus encounters people because he's compelled to. It's who he is. And then the other thing is this. He goes to Samaria. If you're a Jew, you hate Samaritans. Do you know what they would do? They would literally go twice as long. They would do a, a journey twice as long, crossing over the Jordan River twice. To go over it once was bad enough, you could die, and so many people did, that they would actually avoid it so much that they would cross over the Jordan River twice. They would double their trip to avoid it. But what does Jesus do? I had to go. I had to go. God is doing something. God is moving. And what I love is that Jesus is drawn to hard places, and what I find about you and about me is we're doing everything we can to avoid it. We're not like Jesus, you know? Like think about a friend request. Like how bizarre is a friend request? Somebody just hits a button and you go, I got friends. Like how convenient. Look, I got thousands of friends. No, that's not true. In old school days, we had to meet with people, we had to hang out, we play ball with them, we did stuff like that. Now, we just want Insta friends. Insta friends all over your social media platforms that you believe care about you and they don't. But we like it that way. We want it instant. We want autocorrect. I just started thinking like, can, can you, there, when I grew up, there was no such thing as autocorrect. It was called whiteout. out. Come on, adults. You're with me, aren't you? You know that white out. I grew up in high school and I used a legit typewriter. And when I made a mistake, I had a white it out. Guess what that meant? I had to slow my butt down when I was typing something cause I hated some whiteout and guess what? Every paper I turned in, I got a lower grade because I had too much whiteout. Nowadays, you guys can just go like this, blah, blee, blah, blee, blah, 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 blah. And it just gives you like five different options. you like that one, right? That's crazy. But here's what you don't realize. This is starting to fill your mind and you want everything convenient. Like you want something, go on Amazon, but it's Christmas every day. A box can show up like Santa Claus just dropped it off every single day at your house, and this is normal for you. And so what we've done is we've created a theology around that. Well, oh, it must be this way with God. It must be this way if I'm a Christian. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. I go to hard places. He's drawn to hard places. When we do everything we can to Avoid them. Listen to this. This is so important. This is what Jesus does. St. Francis of Assisi says this. I love this quote. Start doing what is necessary. Then do what's possible. And suddenly you will be doing the impossible. Jesus, inspired by God to show up in this location for a divine appointment in a place that none of them want to be except for Jesus, I imagine if I'm a disciple, which by the way, the Jews, and they're like, no, 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 no. I don't want to go here. And what I love, and people miss this part, is they show up during mealtime. The disciples are hungry. Jesus knows this. Guess what they have to do? They actually have to go into the town to buy food with people they consider, check this out, dogs. Lower than dogs. They hate the Samaritans. They hate them. And yet Jesus arrives there and he says, people matter to the heart of God of God, people matter to, do, to, uh, people matter to the heart of God. We do everything we can to avoid being inconvenienced, but the road to transformation, real transformation of heart is rocky and unpredictable, but it is where God is calling you. It's where Jesus goes. And what we find is this woman outside at noon And if you know anything about Jewish culture, what that means is you would never go at noon. Noon's the worst time to go, it's hot out. But she has to go at noon because she is the town scandal. Nobody wants to associate with her. She's lonely and she has to go out at noon because nobody wants to be there with her. But guess who does? Jesus wants to be there with her because she matters. And because God had created a divine appointment set apart from the beginning of time that this woman mattered to the heart of God. And by the way, as John is reading this out loud, people are freaking out. People are like, no, 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 you can't do that. Right, even the woman says, wait, 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 you can't, what, why, why are you talking to me? What, you, you, you can't be talking to me. First and foremost, you can't be talking to me because you're a Jew. And Jews hate Samaritans. They hate them. 400 years of conflict with the Samaritans. Which, by the way, if you read the Gospels, what you find is Jesus is using the Samaritans all the time. And he was coming up against an ideology that's false and wrong, and he's trying to point point all of us to go, no, no, people matter to him. But this woman's confused just as much as the hearers of this letter would have been confused. You know, I, I spent a lot of time in India. I go to India a lot, and my first time there... I remember we were inviting a bunch of lepers, like leprosy is real, it exists, and we were inviting a bunch of lepers to this campus that I was at, and we were gonna serve them. And I was sitting on the balcony, I was praying and getting ready for them to come, we were getting ready to serve them a meal and then do worship with them. And out on the street, I saw all this craziness, come on, they were dropping the lepers off in buses. And I saw this shop owner start hitting them with sticks. They were beating them and they were yelling. And I was turning around going, what is happening? And and the guy who was our host, he said to me, lepers bring bad luck. And so they beat them because they believe if they get anywhere in their shop that it'll ruin business and it'll bring bad luck. And so what they do is they ostracize these lepers out into communities. They go, they don't matter. They don't matter, but they matter to to God. They matter to Jesus. Jesus showed up and has a heart for them. We actually see Jesus encountering lepers all the time and touching them. And I've touched and, and, and prayed with and worshiped with lepers. They're real people and they matter. But you know, when you go up to touch a leper, when I would go up, they, they would cringe. They'd say, no, 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 no. And I'd say, no, I want to. This is what Jesus is doing. And this woman doesn't know what to do with this Jew who wants to be with her. And not only that was a man, culturally, this was scandalous, super, super scandalous. And on top of that, just doubling down, he's a rabbi. He is a rabbi. It it was said that, that rabbis were not even allowed to look at their own wives and daughters in public that's how separate they were. And here, Jesus is sitting with this woman who's this town scandal that nobody loves and nobody cares out, and he has only one thing in common with her. Water. Water. I'm thirsty. Think about these words from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The the man the God, the God who, who breathed everything into existence and that, that created the water is now coming to his creation, a sinner, a scandal, and saying, could you give me some water? How beautiful is that? How humble is that? And he says, could you give me this water? This would have been so mind-blowing from this woman, and that's why she questions him so often. She's like, what is actually going on here, and what is actually going on here is this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and he loves you, and he sees you, and he knows you, and he cares about you. He doesn't care where you've been. He doesn't care what you've done because he loves you. He's not abandoning you to the city. He cares for you, and what he's going to invite her into is so beautiful not just for her, but for all of us. Her story is our story. And so he, she, he starts having this dialogue back and forth with her in verses 10 through 15. And she's like, wait a second, dude. He's like, listen, the water that I'm talking about will bring eternal life. Now, if you wanna know anything about this discord, it literally follows what happens with Nicodemus in John 3, 16. Nicodemus comes and says, what must I do to be born again? Or what must I do to to receive eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He's like, how can that happen? This is the same dialogue that he's having with this woman. Wait, wait, wait. She's like, wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that the water that I'm drinking will never truly satisfy. He's like, that's correct. But I have water, living water, that will give you life and life eternal. And she's thinking, well, hook a sister up. Man, hook a sister up, because I'm tired. I'm tired of coming out here at noon. I'm tired of being singled out in my community. Hook me up. I want that. But she, like us, doesn't get it. Here's what we want. We always want the temporal. Give me the quick fix, Jesus. Look, Jesus, I committed my life to you. Now make my life better. Bless me, Lord, bless me, Lord. No, 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 nothing bad can happen now because we're addicted to the temporal. Just do a quick fix, Jesus. Just fix it real quick for me. I don't like feeling this way. Make it go away. Dear Lord Jesus, I didn't study for my test last night. Now I know you are high and lifted up and you can do anything, that you can make the rocks cry out. But right now I need you to make an A on this test that I did not study for in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Right? We want the temporal fix and so does she. She's like, yeah, 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 yeah. just give me the water. And he's like, I got some eternal stuff that I want to talk to you about. And you're missing it. And she misses it. She misses what Jesus is actually inviting her into. We avoid those types of interaction so often. We don't know how to slow down and realize that that the Messiah is in our presence and he is offering life and life to the full. He is doing this with you all the time. All of creation is rejoicing. If you have spent any amount of moments just sitting on the edge of Hume Lake, you will see all of creation declaring his glory. You're gonna see birds, you're gonna see fish, you're gonna hear the wind. By the way, if you wanna hear, here's a little pro tip. Just sit for a second. You'll hear the wind show up before it shows up. Just listen to it. It comes through the valley. You can hear it. That's the heavens declaring the glory of God. And we are just like, no, no, no. But give me the quick fix. Augustine said this. Our hearts will be restless. Are you ready? Our hearts will be restless until they find their rest in thee. And so he finishes this whole little discourse by saying, to, by saying this, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give to him will never be thirsty again. The water I give him will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty and I will not have to calm draw this water. She misses it. And we do too. We miss what Jesus is offering us. And then look what he does next. This is so important. This is so important. Verse 16. In scripture, you will find this happen all the time. I call it the turn. There's a a discourse going on. There's a conversation going on. A relationship is going on. And all of a sudden, the turn happens. And he says this, go call your husband and come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband, for you have five husbands, and one of them you have right now is not your husband. And she says, what you said is true. What just happened? Jesus starts exposing her. You know, three and a half years ago, I was going, I've been going to counseling. For, I'm, I'm in my fourth year. i have been going to counseling because I needed some help. Had some stuff going on. A lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of trauma in my life. And I'm trying to work with a counselor to help work it out. And so I start meeting with my counselor and my counselor says to me, he's like, hey, uh, how do you care for yourself? And I'm like, oh, I, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm kind of like, I don't go to the doctor unless I have to go to the doctor. He's like, well, you should go to the doctor. So I hadn't been to the doctor in 10 years right, because doctor, yeah, I know, it's bad, uh, because I look at doctors, and I'm like, listen, you only go to doctors, and stuff's falling off, you got to fix it, right, so he goes, you should probably start there and go to the doctor, so I go to the doctor, they run all this tests, and my doctor calls me back, and she says, hey, uh, we, we have some news, and I'm like, okay, what's going on, she goes, why don't you come back in, so I came back in the office, and she says, we think you might have cancer, but let us send you to an oncologist, and I said, okay, and again, because we had been through cancer with our son and blood cancer, I said, okay, you know, so I didn't, this is how healthy I was at the time, but I didn't even tell my wife. I just scheduled an appointment with a a cancer doctor, and she was like, what's this appointment? And I was like, oh, it's like a doctor's appointment. I don't know. And she was like, with the, at the cancer hospital? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's not that big a deal. You know, I just, I just got to go do some blood work. They're just going to figure out what's going on. So we're sitting with this oncologist, and my wife and I are in the room, and he says, okay, we've ran through everything and you have cancer. And I was like, man. And he said, but let me ask you a question. How long have you been anxious? And I said, oh, you got the wrong guy. <laughs> I'm not anxious. I've never been anxious. I'm an optimist. I wake up every morning thinking butterflies and Danny. How many of you just wake up and you're excited to be alive? That is me. Every single morning, I wake up at 5.30 because I like to wake up at 5.30. Not because I have to, no, I like waking up because I'm like, let's go, right? I love waking up early. Like if it's stressful, I'm your guy, put me in coach. If If everyone's freaking out, I'm your guy. Like, I'm like, let's roll, let's do this. And so he's like, he's like, well, that's interesting because this cancer is caused by high levels of anxiety over a long period of time. Here's, let me, let me tell you this. You've been sick and anxious for a very, very long time, and your body just gave up. This is the turn. What? What? Why is Jesus doing this to her? Why is Jesus addressing this with her? He's trying to expose something in her because he loves her. John Piper says this, the quickest way to the heart is through a wound. He's trying to expose, he's trying to get her to open up and be honest, but she wants to keep pushing it down. Jesus makes her confront herself in order that she can truly see Him until you come to understand how absolutely broken and busted and lost that you really are, that you've been abiding in your own truth and not the truth of God. How will you receive Him? How will you receive His glory? How will you receive Him as Messiah in your life, as Savior of your life? This is what Jesus is doing, but she does what so many of us do. She starts making excuses. Oh, you Jews, you, you do this, and we have Mount Gerizim. She starts rambling on, trying to make excuses, trying to solve the puzzle. If you remember the prodigal son, in the story of the prodigal son, it says that he came to his senses, and then what did he do next? Does anybody know? He creates an apology. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm not worthy to be called your son. Take me back as one of your servants. Because he doesn't like this feeling of like, oh my gosh, I've done something wrong. He needs to bring an offering to the father. And when he shows up, he starts in on this, father, forgive me. and, And the father ignores it and receives him. He just wants his son home. Jesus just wants her to acknowledge her brokenness, wants her to acknowledge her sin, wants her to acknowledge that she has been like my truth. And my truth is if I wanna be with a bunch of dudes, I'm gonna be with a bunch of dudes. My truth is I'm gonna go out at noon and get water because it's my decision. I do what I wanna do because it feels good. This is what's being pitched to you day in and day out. And so many of you have bought into it like this woman. But here's what you don't know that Jesus knows is it's killing you. And instead of abandoning you to your sin, he runs to you. He comes to you at noon. He meets you in that place. And he says, Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that area of sin in your life? Can we we talk about how you keep rejecting me? Can we talk about Jeff, Jeff, can we talk about that anxiety that you keep pretending isn't there? And you keep driving and grinding and going, trying to be something and somebody so the world around you will go, you matter. Can we talk about that, Jeff? See how merciful that is? You know mercy sometimes is really painful. Jesus is being merciful to her and she's starting to make excuses. It's what we so often do. And what Jesus is really saying to her and is really saying to you is you just Need me. You need me. In verses 25 and 26, it says this. The woman said, I-, I know the Messiah is coming. He was called to Christ. When he comes, he will tell us these things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. He says the, in verse 23, the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit And in truth, the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He is trying to awaken her up. What he's trying to say is, I'm not just a prophet. I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the one that can solve that wound, that hole in your soul. I'm the one. It's me, and I'm standing here in front of you. And this is what we see Jesus doing all throughout the Gospels. He starts in chapter 5. He heals on the Sabbath to say, listen, people are more important than these things, these laws that we've declared. I am God in the flesh. The Father and I are one, and the religious don't understand. He feeds 5,000 people, and he says to them, I am the bread of life. I'm what you need. You can have this bread and you can fill your stomach for a second, but I'm going to bring fulfillment to you because I am the Messiah. And he's saying to you tonight, do you believe that? Do you believe he is all he says he is? Are you just gonna continue to fill yourselves with these temporal fixes that are crushing your soul? And as I was laying on the ground there, overwhelmed, an old lady came over to me and I said, I knew it. I knew that heaven was full of old people. I knew it, I knew it, I knew it, I it. I, I feared it and it was true. I thought I had died. (laughs) And she said, are you okay? And I had landed between two rocks and two trees and I couldn't move my body. And as I was laying there, I was looking up the hill and I saw my dad running to me. And I would assume what most of you would assume. He's going to what? Kill me. me. He's gonna point in my chest and go, see, that's what you get for disobeying me. That's what you get, son. How you like them apples? I told you I was right and that you were going to get hurt. And guess what? So guess what, son? You just lay there and think about it. We'll wait till your body wakes up and maybe you can carry yourself up the hill. And as he came running towards me, what I saw in his face, what I thought was anger, but what it was was compassion. And he picked me up and he carried me home, and he picked out those thorns out of my flesh, and he never said a word. Can you see the Father's love for you? That what you assume is he's coming, he's going to put his finger in your chest, and he's going to tell you how bad you are and how awful you are, but he doesn't do that with this woman. He exposes her sin and says, I'm the one who's going to redeem it. I, the Messiah, am gonna make all things new that were broken. What sin took away, I'm redeeming and making new. I have come to bring life and life to the full. And what happens when she receives him as the Messiah? She runs back into the village and she proclaims, you gotta know about this guy. The Messiah is here and he knows everything about me. He knew my name and he met me at noon. And even though no one else wanted me, he did. And now she doesn't even care what people think about her because she's been transformed by the love of the Father in flesh in the Son, Jesus. This is what the story of the gospels, are trying to proclaim to us. This is what John wants us to know so deeply. Jesus is God. Truth exists because God exists, and what does truth do? It moves into the neighborhood, and what does it do when it moves into the neighborhood? It rescues and it redeems. And it releases you back to the people to proclaim his good news for the glory of God. This is our story. Where grace and love collide is where life change happens. When you receive grace for the multitude of sin in your life, with the love of the Father, where you really believe it? When these words that you're singing become a manifestation in your soul and they settle in and you believe it, you will find life. And you will go run and tell other people about what God has done in your life. I told you about my time in India, and my time in India has been really important. My very first trip going to India, uh, I met a little girl. Her name was Wasunta. Everybody say, Wasunta. Wasuntha. Wasuntha is spelled with a V because in India, they, when they say, I love you, they say, I allow you. <laughs> so the V's are W's. So her name was Wasunta. And is this scrappy little girl. And Wasuntha's story is that Wasuntha's mom and dad left with other, with other people and abandoned this four-year-old girl to the streets. And she and her brother had to take care of themselves and she would eat scraps off the ground. And a neighbor in the village grabbed her and brought her in and was raising her to sell her on the black market because they're poor but she served as a slave in their home and they would beat her. She's what's called a black beauty, so they go double on the black market, so they were gonna raise her to the certain age and then sell her into slavery. But another neighbor rescued her and brought her to this orphanage, and I showed up two weeks after she showed up. So we were just, my wife and I were thinking about just sponsoring a child, and by the end of the trip I'm like, I feel like we're supposed to adopt this little girl. And we made an agreement and and said, okay, let's do it. So I called my wife. You know, I'm like, hey, uh, remember that trip to India? Yeah, so it just got crazy. So so we go through a process. We hired an international adoption attorney. I said goodbye to her, which was one of the more painful things that I've gone through. Because it felt to me like God put this little one in my life. Like she's ours. And so we decided to make a deal and, she, and we had a family that was raising her and we were going to pay that family. And so she had to go through all these medicals. We had to make sure she didn't have AIDS. We had to make sure she, cause she had been through some really, really gnarly things. So they're doing all this examination on her. So we come to find out she's healthy, uh, malnourished, but they're, they're helping her. So, we go, hire an international adoption attorney. We figure out that we can do it. We go through all this crazy stuff. And so I come back a year later. So we've been talking to her on Skype just through Broken English. We would do uh, these little songs with her, butterfly, butterfly, you know, like she was just really, it was cute, you know? And my kids were excited. My two boys were excited. And, and um, So I come back the next year and we're sitting at the table and I'm so excited, so excited to see her, like I've been back and, and, and we're in the process and we're moving forward and so she's sitting on my lap and we're eating chicken because you eat a lot of chicken in India. So we're eating chicken and we're blowing through the chicken and all of a sudden we get to the chicken bones and she starts eating the chicken bones. And I'm like, yo, girlfriend, <laughs> we put those off to the side. And she kept eating the chicken bones. And I was like, yo, stop. And she got angry at me, like screamed. And she took the chicken bones and she ran off. And I like looked to the guy who's like raising her. Like we've been paying to take care of her, to have her go to school. And, to pay. and I said, yo, what is happening? And he says, oh, my friend, your little girl, she still thinks she's a slave she has not yet come to understand that she's a daughter. And I'm like, broken hearted about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, whoa. And so, spent time with her, had an awesome time, Continue with our international adoption attorney. It's incredibly complex. Come back year two to be with her again, again, we've been Skyping, she's getting a little bit better at English, she's picking it up, and she's sitting on my lap, and we're eating chicken, and, and I'm like, let's see how this goes, I'm, ser- I'm curious, so she starts eating the chicken, she leaves the bones, and she runs away, and I said, what happened, what changed, I said, oh, this little orphan girl believes that she is loved by God, and loved by her American mom and dad, she feels seen, and she feels loved, and here's what I find so interesting about that, I think so many of us are living like orphans when we're sons and daughters of the Most High God. We're missing the love right in front of us. The Spirit of God is speaking to some of your hearts right now, tonight, and telling you, He loves you. He sees you. And it doesn't matter how broken and busted up, how orphaned you feel. He is your Father, and He loves you. You are sons. Listen, you got eyes right here? Sons of the Most High God. Daughters of the Most High God. Sons of the Most High God. Daughters of the Most High God, stop living like slaves when he's called you son and daughter. And what happened to this woman in this moment in her life was the word became flesh and dwelt among her. And she came to understand that she's a daughter of the Most High God. And when she found out she was a daughter of the Most High God, what do you think she did? She went and told a bunch of other people that grace just showed up into my village. Love just showed up into my village and told me I mattered and I've been redeemed and I can go sin no more. How beautiful. This is our story. Receive this word from the Lord. Receive this story that has been told for thousands of years to help remind us that we matter to the heart of God and that truth shows up and it sets us free. Let me pray. but I feel like something's going on. I feel like you're doing something. I feel like you're speaking to hearts. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the hard places. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for loving me, for seeing me, for knowing me, caring about me. I need you, Lord. Thank you for calling me a son. Thank you in the midst of my depravity and my wandering that you found me and you see me. You know I pray for each and every heart in here, Lord. I pray that they would be seeking after you because they're restless. They're restless, restless for you. Liberate them into your love. Help them to know that they are seen and they matter and they belong to the most high God. We celebrate you tonight. We celebrate you for your love. We celebrate you for your grace. We celebrate you for your mercy. We celebrate you that you are the one true God in whom we can truly trust. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and everybody said, Amen.